Might animal welfare practices be related to gut health? And how can improvements in gut health contribute to overall animal welfare? Some interesting things to ponder, aren't they? Welcome to Feedstuffs in Focus, our podcast, taking a look at the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and animal feed industries. I'm your host, Sarah Muirhead. Joining Feedstuffs and Hess today to share her expertise on animal welfare is Dr. Jennifer Walker. Dr. Walker is co-founder and chief animal welfare officer at Kinder Ground and director of quality and care at Dano North America, where she's responsible for managing milk quality from farm to factory gate, as well as the development and management of their industry-leading animal welfare program. You can hear more from Dr. Walker and many other experts for free at the Virtual Kemen Intestinal Health Symposium. Sessions are available for on-demand viewing now. Register and access today at www.kemen.com backslash symposium. Dr. Walker, from your perspective, how do you define animal welfare? Are there factors or indicators you choose when assessing animal welfare? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, um, you know, from a, a kind of purist perspective, the, the definition of animal welfare is, you know, pretty well established and, you know, looking at the state of the animal itself. Um, but it, I find it interesting because we, I think we still are having to clarify that definition uh, with folks to make sure that um, in, that it includes mental health, the mental health, as well as the physical state of the animal. I think traditionally, uh, we've, we've often thought about welfare from a, from a very narrow um, uh, sort of uh, lens. And so really trying to make sure that we include that mental, mental state is important. Um, and also the trying to make sure that folks become more comfortable with it. Because I, I think that the use of the word welfare still causes a little discomfort with some folks. Um, we confuse it with animal rights. We confuse it in, with uh, folks who are interested in, in more of an abolitionist approach to animal agriculture. Um, when animal welfare is, is just simply that, the state of the animal and its mental and physical um, uh, states. And, and a lot of times I think folks will, will defer to using the word well-being as a little bit softer or safer language. Um, but I, I think we need to kind of lean in on, on just making sure we're using animal welfare and understanding it. Um, if you kind of unpack it a little bit more when you, your question about the indicators, you know, I, I would say that our old school thinking of animal welfare, you might hear to um, folks reference the five freedoms, which was revolutionary back in 1960 something when it was first proposed. Um, um, and it talked a lot about freedom from, right? Freedom from pain, freedom from hunger. Um, and, and the new school of thought, I think, is, is looking at it as the five domains, which I think is actually very, very good in that it's, it's looking um, uh, not just from the negative approach and saying to have good welfare, you know, animals need more than to escape negative things. They actually, there should be positive things, right? So a life that's purely, you know, neutral isn't good either. So it's, it's trying to engage us to think more broadly and deeper about animal welfare into what makes a good life. Um, and whether, and that means, you know, um, not just thinking about, as an example, not just thinking about how much a calf is fed, but how often and, and how is that feed delivered? Um, not just asking, do cows have the freedom to move, but what does that movement look like? Can they just move or can they, can they run? Can they romp? Can they, can they do other things? And so it's, it's looking at it at that next level. 
Um, and I think when assessing welfare, I think most most folks are, are doing the basics and I think the progressive ones are looking more at the five domains. And then I think even beyond that, when I look at assessing welfare, I actually start looking at the people um, because we can have all kinds of ideas about how we want to manage welfare on the farm, but everything happens through people. And so much of how that is delivered on the farm or how it's, you know, actually manifests on the farm is really dependent on people. And, and the reality is if we don't treat our people well, then we don't, how can we expect our people to treat our animals well? And so, um, you know, programs that I've been working with, you know, we, we integrate that. And so we look at employee care, something as simple as checking the employee bathroom and the condition of that. Um, and, and, and it sends a signal to the employees that we care um, as much about them as we do the cow, which I think is important um, for that. And so, um, and then the other thing I actually do think, I, it's not formally put in any assessment that I'm aware of, but I will tell you that anytime I'm on a farm, I uh, interact with the barn cat if there is one. And if that barn cat is nice and well-fed and in good condition, um, I, we're, we're pretty good. So we, we know we're probably good to go. So I would say barn cats and bathrooms and then, <laughs> um, and then the rest of what's I think in most, most animal welfare assessments. Great, great perspective there. Um, so how do you see animal welfare connected to gut health and sustainability? Are there, are there animal welfare practices related to gut health and, and can improvements be made in gut health that contribute to overall animal welfare? You know, I, I think so. I, I want to make sure that I don't, I'm not an expert in, in gut health for sure. Um, my, you know, veterinary background um, certainly is informative. Um, I think from an animal welfare perspective, you know, the connection of animal welfare to, to sustainability is, is pretty clear. You know, it's foundational to longevity. Um, we certainly, we want cows to have longer lives, but we want them to have longer productive lives and we want them to have longer healthy lives. So, you know, a longer life isn't the goal. A long good life is the goal, right? So we certainly don't want a longer miserable one. Um, and how that relates to food waste and um, that how animal welfare relates to animal health and then antimicrobial resistance and a really one health approach, I think is key. Now, the connection to gut health within that, I, I think we're beginning to understand and kind of unpack that um, and, and understand its importance at, at maintaining an effective immune response um, to be able to detect and prevent and eliminate pathogens, um, simply maintaining that physical barrier um, and that, that mucosal immune system. Um, and when I, when I think about it on, on the dairy farm, you know, what's our biggest challenge in newborns, right, is neonatal diarrhea. And I think looking at gut health from that perspective is, is key and trying to understand how we can focus on that or, or make sure we understand the impact of everything else we do on the farm from an early stage, whether it's the, the, the transition cows and dry cows, right? And how that may impact it up to how we manage colostrum, how we manage calf feeding, all of those things is, is where I'm starting to dig in a little bit specifically from the, the gut health is where I've, I've kind of just started exploring it. And, and right now where I think we probably have the biggest opportunity is um, in that in our calf program and how we're how we're rearing calves. 
So adding on to that, how can prioritizing animal health or animal welfare contribute to a more sustainable and ethical approach to animal agriculture? I think it's a great question. And I, I love the fact that you asked the ethical question, because I think sometimes in sustainability, um, we in most things, we focus on can we, right? So there's a lot of things we can do. And I think the next question, or perhaps the first question, is, um, is should we? Right, so so the can we do something is the one, and then and then should we do it? Um, and I and I think that to me, um, maybe prioritizing animal welfare isn't the right word. Which some folks will just bash me for for saying that. I can't believe she's not saying we need to prioritize welfare. But I think in optimizing it, right? So in in prioritizing that, that we have to recognize that if if we are functioning sh purely on a short term profit perspective, we will maximize production, we will maximize profit, and that will compromise welfare in, in a way that I, I think is not helpful or, or, or does not contribute to long-term sustainability and that overall sustainability picture. If we look at optimizing welfare and we prioritize that and we optimize welfare, we optimize profit and, and everything else that goes with that, then, then I think we get to a long-term sustainability, um, an answer to that that makes sense. The challenge is in capturing that over time, because just like everybody, dairy is no different and agriculture is no different in, in whether or not they're able to, to capture that long-term view of, of profit. And it's so hard, right? Because there's so many things that go into that long-term, um, that go into the, that calculation. It's, it's comparatively easy to make the short-term calculation on, on the cost of things. And so much of what we do from a welfare perspective are, it's the long game. It's the long-term output that, that, that we need to look at. And I'm, I am 100% I am sure that better welfare is better for the business but it is so hard for me to deliver a number like that, that return, right. That it, that you have, you just have to be, be so sure of it. And when I talk to farmers who get it, they do, they understand, like, I, I, I want to be good to the cow because I love my cows, but it also makes sense for my business. They wholeheartedly believe it. And I think, and those are the ones that understand this optimizing versus maximizing. Yeah. The, the long-term versus short-term, you, you led me to my next question. What are some, actionable items that you advise, you know, livestock producers, managers, nutritionists, you know, to take in order to assess and improve animal welfare on farms? Are there things they could be doing, uh, incorporating into their daily operations? Yeah, I think so. I mean, other than checking the barn cat, um, that's your key, um, that, that should red flag you. Um, you know, I really do think coming up with some simple and I don't want to say daily, but whether it's weekly or monthly checks that we can kind of take the pulse. I, I in some ways, I'm guilty of it as, as being very involved and entrenched in animal welfare audits and, and working on them. That in some ways, I think we've made it too complicated for farms to appreciate how can I take this audit, right, that happens once a year and, and translate it to, to the daily function of my farm. Right. And so I think if we unpack the important stuff um, and 
kind of create a way that whether it's the this team approach and this collaborative approach, whether it's with the herd veterinarian of record, whether it's with the nutritionist, um, who we can create a, a, a punch list of things when I'm here that I always go check, right? And if it were me, if I'm on a farm, the things that I know that I'm going to go check, I'm going to I'm going to go through the calves every time, and I'm not not in my truck. I'm going to get out. I'm going to walk, and I want to see the condition of those calves and, and look at their body condition because that'll tell me a lot. And it, it might be it might reflect how we're feeding and what we're feeding, or it might just reflect disease or both, right? And if we assess how those calves are doing, um, and if they're being treated, right, and 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 how timely euthanasia is being handled. So I'd always look at the calves and then looking at those, that the hospital area and the transition cows and how those are doing. Um, particularly the hospital pen, how cows are being treated, how good are we at making timely decisions on fitness for transport. Um, and, and I pick these areas because I think that these are the areas where we start cultivating a habit of thought around compassion. And then from there it can grow and we could start looking at lame cows and we can start kind of developing practices um, with our collaborators on the farm to come in and evaluate how are we doing on lameness? How are we doing on tail injuries as well? So I think it's kind of building it. And I, and I think where we've probably not done the industry any favors is by coming in with very well-designed audits, very well-designed audits, but that are, it's, it's almost too much, right? We, we need to start simple and, and just pick the areas where we're gonna start building this habit of thought around um, compassion and welfare for both the employees and the animals that they work with, right? And, and I think from there that will grow. And you know, I, I, I look at compassion as sort of a muscle that we have to exercise. Um, and then you, you develop that muscle and that muscle memory of, of how we make decisions. Um, because I, I think without that, then we end up, um, I'm making up a word, protocolizing. <laughs> we, we can't make a protocol for every situation on the farm and how we're supposed to respond. But I feel like if we've, we've practiced and, and practiced other things, when people on the farm have to make decisions about welfare, they make good decisions because they're, they're used to taking that animal's perspective and, and thinking about it in, in this this, this cow-centered way that, that has compassion kind of at the center of it. Yeah, absolutely. That cow-centered way is kind of a work in progress, it sounds like. Um, what are some potential challenges or barriers that you've seen that arise when implementing animal welfare practices in livestock production? How have you addressed those? Um, the, I will say the barriers are, are some of it is the sh what, what is viewed as cost, right? Short-term cost. So how much more time is this going to take? What is this going to cost? Um, you know, uh, instance, like we don't overcrowding, right? We know, we know overcrowding is a short-term, short-term gain, long-term pain, right? We know that. Um, uh, but so people do it, right? So if we say we shouldn't overcrowd, like, well, Jen, you know, I'm not going to get this. I'm not going to get that. So so part of it's just that that challenge, um, but beyond that, because I, I think I think we can we can get beyond that relatively easy with some conversation. Um, I think that the other the other barriers are partly habit, maybe habit's not the right word, 
but almost what I'm just going to call permission to fail, right? Because I, I think one thing I've learned through my work with Danone and, and our program is, is I've been, we've been very lucky in that we've had some financial support from, from the company to do pro pilot projects on farms. And so we haven't said that everybody needs, we haven't mandated social housing per se, right? Um, I jokingly tell farmers, I'm not mandating social housing, but I'm mandating that you think about it. <laughs> um, and then on some farms who are willing to even think more, right? They, who are willing to experiment, we gave them hutches and said, let's try this. We can put them together. We can pull them apart. You can try a group hutch. We had the skin in the game and I think that's the barrier, right? So, so I think oftentimes we approach these things and farmers feel like it's all on them to do. We've taken this approach where we've said, we, we believe in it so much. We think it's important. I want to help you try. And then by, by allowing a farm to experiment with something and, and it's not all in, right? So we're not saying raise everybody this way. Like, let's pick a group. Let's see how it works and let's see how it works for you. And then be willing to learn from them and see what did and didn't work. And so I, I think that it's, you know, I get it when you've done something this way for so long and it's been working relatively well, it's, it's hard to like, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Right. And then I'm coming in and say, do it this way. So I think it's this permission to fail in, in that way. That's safe. That's, that's not, you know, that's manageable. And I think helping them get, get there is, is key. And then again, having some skin in the game where, you know, we've, we've given out cow brushes to farms to demonstrate, again, we think there's value here. We think it's important and here, give it a go, try the brush. Tell me what you think. Right. And then they put in the brushes and they're like, well, gosh, darn it. Like I you wouldn't believe how much the guys like these brushes. I'm like, yeah, I kind of thought so. Um, and so, so it's, a, it's a little bit of that. I, I think that to me, that's been the most transformative thing for me to, to see how much more progress we can make that way versus just pushing and pushing and pushing and saying, you got to do it. And so it's, it's been a, a good learning for me in the last few years. And you mentioned, you know, so the producers know it's not just on them. How can collaboration and partnerships within the industry um, with producers, animal health companies, industry organizations, how can they contribute to advancing animal welfare in the industry? Yeah, um, I think exactly that it's the, that collaboration, I think, and that it's not a top down necessarily and understanding everybody's got to understand the long game in that. Um, and, and that's where I think we've, we've done that with Danone. Danone has a really, whether it's globally or from Danone North America, their farming for generations platform. Um, they have grants from the USDA that they, they've partnered with farms on the sustainability side and on the animal welfare side, where we've supported the adoption of practices and, and um, whether it's training, whether it's providing resources, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, we're, Again, I think it's really demonstrating that that you were sharing the skin in the game for that. Um, and so I, I think from a corporate level, there's that. And and I think from other organizations, the Dairy Cattle Welfare Council has has, at least for in, in the US, worked with other other companies to support their annual symposium, which is a great opportunity to bring farmers together and the industry at large to talk about welfare in a very um you know, safe isn't maybe the right word, but but a very comfortable space where we can we can be critical of some of our practices and have open, honest conversations about where we need to improve and and how we can improve. And um, 
I won't be shy in talking about Kinder Ground, the, the, the project that I started where it really is a boots on the ground collaboration where we're, we're, I've kind of, you know, taken what I've learned from Danone and saying, okay, I'm, we're going to fund, we're going to grant funds for farms to adopt practices and, and essentially create that opportunity to experiment, create that, you know, permission to fail. Let's experiment and let's see if it works. Let's see what we can do better and then share that. And I think even collaborating then across other producers, I think peer to peer learning with producers um, is probably the most effective, you know, they learn from each other. Um, I, I do think then it doesn't feel like so much top down and like, you know, the experts and the companies and we're telling you what you have to do. Um, you know, I, I haven't met a successful dairy farmer that doesn't want to do better. Um, so, you know, they always want to do better. And I, I think finding those opportunities to collaborate peer to peer collaborate, um, you know, across the industry is, is key. Um, because in the end, we're, we're really all in this together <laughs> and, and we're really, you know, it, we depend on one another. And I think that, that when we take that approach, it, it just makes it, um, I think it makes it sustain longer too. Like the, the change needs to, to continue. And, um, and then it's just more fun when we do it that way <laughs> as well, much less painful. Absolutely. Dr. Jennifer Walker, co-founder and chief animal welfare officer at Kinder Ground and director of quality and care for Danone North America. Great information and great insight on how animal welfare practices can be related to gut health and how improvements in gut health can contribute to overall animal welfare. You can hear more from Dr. Walker and many other experts for free at the virtual Kamen Intestinal Health Symposium. Sessions are available for on-demand viewing now. Register and access today at www.kemen.com backslash symposium. I'm Sarah Muirhead, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs in Focus. If you would like to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and animal feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast channel, including Apple and Google Podcasts. Until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening.